reading from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises of our God, for he is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives them all of their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the animals their food and to the young ravens when they cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the speed of a runner. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Alex, for uh, the reading of that beautiful poem that we call Psalm 147. I was thinking as I was listening to Mark talk and then Stuart talk and then uh, hearing um, the reading of Psalm 147, I was actually reminded of one of my favorite uh, recording artists, Chance the Rapper's second album. He's got a song on it called Praises, and in that song he says, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. And while most of the time I, I really like the theology that Chance uh, accidentally teaches uh, in his music, on that one I think he's got it reversed. I think what happens is it may feel like that as we're praising God more, we get blessed more. But I think the reality is when we recognize the blessings we have, we recognize more blessings. And so... I would encourage you to do what the psalmist says in 147, which is to sing praises to God and look at all of the blessings that we have around us. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we gather today um, with lots of joy in our hearts and with lots of anxiety in our hearts. And we also know, Lord, that there are those of of us that have a lot of grief that we're carrying with us right now. And so I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen those who are struggling. For those who, um, whose faith is lacking, Lord, let them walk through the desert until they find the water that you offer. And may they recognize that water as hope and love. Lord, for those of us who are celebrating, may we share our joy with those who are all around us. We lift up especially today, God, Lynette Wilson-Graham, Greg and Gina Roberts and Cindy Riceborough, who are planning a move to Colorado, which is the home for, of Greg and Gina. We pray, God, for Betty Bolt, for the family and friends of Vanessa Diaz, for Janice and Levi, for Gail, for Jeff, MJ, and Kelsey. And Lord, we do recognize all of the blessings that you have given Morningstar. We lift up our nation, God, that we would be united and that we would use our power for other people, not just to gain more power. Lord, we pray for Daniel and Carol and Marcus and Davida, all who are suffering and all who are struggling. Those who are 
dealing with cancer, Lord, and we pray for Mia and Nava also. God, for all of these and for those who we don't know about but we know are struggling, we ask you to be present with them in a way that they know you are there. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing today in a sermon series where I'm talking about our um, mission and vision statement. And I'm going to, a couple of times, I'm going to ask Marianne to put slides up. And that's not because Marianne is lagging behind, right, Marianne? It's because I haven't told her exactly in my, I haven't given her a manuscript that has exactly where I want the slides in there. So, Marianne, do we have a slide that has our, our mission and vision statement on it? that you could place up there so I could share that with the church. So our mission, this is what we are about as Morningstar. It's not like this is what we're hoping to be. This is who we know we are, and this is what we know we do and what we want to continue doing. And when you see our vision statement in a moment, you'll see that the vision statement points directly back to the mission statement. Our mission, our main job, our number one job is to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus Christ. And so if you're a person who recognizes the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our job is to point that out to other people, to be tour guides of truth and to be tour guides of love. And so we point that out everywhere that we can find it. And then if you could show us our vision statement, this is what we are hoping to be, and this is what I've been preaching on the last few weeks, and what I'm going to be focusing on today also. Our vision is to be a community that is stirred by the grace of God, to be active in inspirational worship, and to practice radical inclusion, and to alleviate suffering. So last week, I talked about practicing radical inclusion. Today, I'm going to talk about alleviating suffering. And then next week, we're going to have a really fun church service in which we... uh, learn some more about worship, what worship is, and how it is that we can be active in inspirational worship. The passage of scripture that I'd like to read uh, with you today is found in the book of Mark, which happens to be my favorite gospel. I like the pace of Mark, and I like Mark's focus on the common good. And so I'm going to read to you from early on in Mark. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. So there's Jesus, James, John, Simon, and Andrew. They go to Simon's mother-in-law, and she was in bed, sick with a fever. And they told Jesus about her at once. Jesus went to her and took her by the hand and raised her up. And the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons. But he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning... Well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. 
When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he replied, let's head into the other direction, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a fun story, right? Jesus and his friends go to one of his friends' homes, and and that friend, Peter, they were still calling him Simon, but Peter's mother-in-law was in bed sick, and Jesus goes over and sits on her bed and grabs her by the hand and pulls her up, and the fever leaves her so that she can get busy doing what she wants to do. I, I used to read this passage and be kind of like, what? Like, he healed her so that she could get up and serve them? That seems a little weird, right? Like, and a little bit like 1950s United States kind of stuff. But what I really think was going on is that there was a culture, and still is, called in the Middle East and in the Near East, of like intense and serious hospitality. Like I know when I lived in Texas, they used to talk about Southern hospitality. But Southern hospitality differs from the Near Eastern hospitality. Because in the Near East and in the Middle East, the idea is that if you welcome someone into your home, you will lay down your life for them. That was the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah, is that these strangers were welcomed in, and the person that had welcomed them into their home then pushed them out so they could be abused. When I lived in Denver, uh, the first year that Michelle and the girls and I lived there, our friend, our neighbors who lived next door to us were from Saudi Arabia. And they were uh, uh, Islamic. Their faith was the Muslim faith. And we would sit on our back porch. Amir, the, the dad of that family, and myself would sit on our back porches and we would talk theology and we would talk religion and we would talk about the differences that we had and we found the similarities in our faiths and we made a promise to never try to convert one another also. And one of the things that I found really interesting was that any time that we would go into their home, Omnia, the mom, would get up, go to the fridge, and bring out a platter full of food. And it was like they expected us to sit and eat with them, and that if we were in their home, we were there to be served and to be loved and to be protected. That, I think, is what Peter's mother-in-law was experiencing, is that she wanted desperately to be able to fulfill that role, that calling that she had, and the honor it was to serve her guests, but she couldn't do so because she was sick and suffering. So Jesus alleviates her suffering so that she can get on with doing what it is that she was called to do. We're freed from things, But just to be freed from something is not enough. We, as followers of Jesus, recognize that we are freed from things so that we can do something with that freedom. Not for ourselves, but for others. I want to share a video with you. This is a story of, uh, well, it's it's a Super Bowl commercial from several years ago. And uh, there was a guy who played for the Seattle Seahawks who was born deaf. And uh, this Super Bowl commercial is inspiring, and it talks a little bit about what I want to talk about today, which is that there is more to our lives 
than just us. They told me it couldn't be done. That I was the lost cause. Kids were afraid to play with me. I was picked on. And picked last. Coaches didn't know how to talk to me. They gave up on me. Told me I should just quit. But I've been deaf since I was three. So I didn't listen. Fifty-third pick and the last pick is. They didn't call my name. Told me it was over. But I showed them. It wasn't. A lot of fans in the NFL cheer me on. And I can hear them all. I think that'd be a perfect commercial for our faith if minus the Duracell portion, right? Like, trust the power within. And the power that we have doesn't come from us. We know that it comes from the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as I watch that commercial, there's like this sense of inspiration, right? Like, I'm like, I want to go run. I want to go do something. I want to I live into what Derek Coleman was living into. Not that I would ever have the kind of ability or talent to play in the NFL. But I want to be inspired to do more than what even I think I can do. And I think sometimes... I've made the mistake in my preaching of trying to inspire people to recognize that they are loved, that you are whole, that you are seen by God, that you are not alone. But there's another step. There's another step that we as followers of Jesus, I think, have to take if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus through the Gospels and especially in that passage that I just read to you. And it's the step of using the freedom that we have found for other people to alleviate their suffering. The state of New Mexico is a state that really struggles. I don't have to tell you this, but I want to show you some statistics that are about the childhood poverty rates and the hunger rates in the state of New Mexico. Marianne, if you could show us that slide, please. New Mexico's families and kids are facing big, big challenges. And it's not up to us, Morningstar, to alleviate all of the suffering, but it is up to us to recognize and not be ignorant of the suffering that happens in the world that we live in so that we can use the power that comes from the Holy Spirit to do the best we can to alleviate suffering. So we, as New Mexico, rank 50th out of 50 states in child well-being. 34% of kids who live within the borders of New Mexico are food insecure. They do not have regular access to enough healthy food. Think about that. 
34% of kids don't know exactly where their next meal is going to come from, and if they have it, whether it's going to be nutrient-dense or not. 42% of working families are low-income. This isn't just 42% of families. This is 42% of people who are working, who have jobs, are low-income. And then we have some of the highest poverty rates in the United States among children. We rank 49th among children. People who work full-time year-round, we rank 48th in the nation amongst high poverty rates for people who work full-time year-round. And then we rank 50th amongst poverty rates for people with a bachelor's degree or higher. There's a bishop from Central America that said one time that when I feed the poor, you call me a saint. But when I ask why they're poor, you call me a communist. Jesus was never comfortable just leaving people to have what they need. Jesus wanted people to live in the fullness of their being, to harness the power within to live. Can you imagine a world where we take it very serious to alleviate other people's suffering, not just to give them food, which is incredibly important and which we do very, very well. I I would... I have no doubt and no trepidation at all in saying that of all of the churches and nonprofit organizations in the city of Las Cruces, Morningstar does as good as anybody, if not better, at feeding the hungry. That is one step toward alleviating suffering. But I think it's really important for us to take the other steps as well. And it's not just about hunger, and it's not just about poverty. But what happens when Mark Stuvey is driving down the road, and he sees a family that is suffering, if all he does is pray for them as he's passing, Mark did more. He worked to try to alleviate their suffering. He stops his car, he pulls over. Mark, I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you right now. And he goes and he talks to them and he says, is there anything I can do for you? Do you need food? Do you need anything? He was working to actively alleviate as much of their suffering as he could. And I need to learn from Mark's example. I want to read to you what Sarah Heinrich, who is a biblical scholar wrote about this passage of Scripture. She said, The illness bore a heavy social cost in the ancient Near East. Not only would a person be unable to earn a living or contribute to the well-being of a household, but their ability to take their proper role in the community, to be honored as a valued member of a household, town, or village, would be taken from them because of their illness. Peter's mother-in-law is an excellent case in point. It was her calling and her honor to show hospitality to guests in her home. Cut off from that role by an illness, cut her off from doing that which integrated her into the world. Who was she even, who, who was she when no longer able to engage in her calling? 
Jesus restored her for her social world and brought her back to a life of value by freeing her from fever. He freed her and brought her back to something, a life of value. It's very important to see that healing is about restoration to community and restoration of a calling, a role as well as restoration to life. For life without community is a calling bleak indeed. Our job, our calling, as Frederick Beekner says it, is to find the place that God calls us, is, is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deepest hungers. I believe that every person on the planet wants to be considered valuable, wants to be seen as whole, wants to be seen as part of the community, and wants to make a better, make a difference in the world. I, I think that about everyone. I don't believe that there are people sitting at home just taking welfare checks and feeling good about themselves. I think they want to be able to do more, and it's our job to make sure that they are able to do more. Of course, there are anecdotal stories about people who work the system. That's not our business. Our business is to do the work of healing so that others can be alleviated from their suffering. That's what Jesus did. The story just prior to the one that I read to you is Jesus casting out a demon. Immediately he goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house and he heals her and he heals all kinds of people who came. <clears throat> and I want to make it clear that healing wasn't just about physical healing. It was also about emotional and spiritual healing. Therefore, he's casting out what they at that time called demons. <clears throat> we can do that work. We can become a church that really does a great job at alleviating suffering, if nothing else, in our homes and in our workplaces. But it grows from there. It grows by alleviating suffering in the schools that our kids go to and that we teach in. It goes as far as alleviating suffering by making sure that we're making phone calls and writing letters to our state legislature saying, listen, people need to get paid sick leave. Making sure that we don't have a system with a regressive tax policy that is harmful to those who are in poverty and gives more money to those who are rich, that's not the upside-down kingdom of God. And this isn't me being political. This is me preaching the gospel. This is me pointing out what it is that Jesus did. Sisters and brothers, I believe with my whole heart that we are a church that desires deeply to alleviate suffering. I see it. On Tuesday mornings when you come here, the people who are here serving food and giving out food, they're not doing it for their own benefit. There is a benefit that comes from it. But that's not why they do it. They do it because they recognize that what happens when you don't know where your next meal comes from is that's all you can think about. I remember one day 
when I was in college, um, a little vacuum uh, tube was broken in my truck. And when that vacuum tube was broken, it made it where my air conditioner wouldn't run. So I'm going to college here in Las Cruces. It's summertime. It's like late July, and it is as hot as you can imagine. Like that kind of hot that, like when you step outside, it feels like somebody's blowing a blow dryer in your face, or the kind of hot when you open up a convection oven and like hot air just blows at you, like where you have a hard time getting the first breath. It was that kind of hot that day, and I'm driving in my truck, and because my air conditioner wasn't working, I had my windows down, which was just moving more hot air all around me. And that's all I could think about. I would get to a stoplight, and I would look at the car next to me, and I could see a lady. I remember very clearly seeing a lady's hair blowing from her air conditioner and being like, well, her air conditioner works. And then getting to the next stoplight and looking over, and the people looked really comfortable in that car, and I'm like, their air conditioner works. That is nothing. I was not suffering. I was driving a nice pickup. All I had to do was find that little vacuum hose and repair it, which took me 10 minutes and $5. Can you imagine if you don't know where your next meal is going to come from? If you have kids who are living at home and you don't know, like you're working and you're working, you're working 40 hours or more a week and you have a college degree and you still are living in poverty and you don't know how you're going to feed your kids? What else can you think about except the suffering? We need to ask the questions, why are people hungry? Why do we have so many children in poverty? Why do we have so many people that are educated who are living in poverty? And then we need to mobilize to alleviate as much suffering as we possibly can. My hope is that you're sitting at home and you're inspired that you're wondering what it is that you can do about such a big problem. That's a great question to be asking. And do not give up finding the answer. Because oftentimes when we encounter big problems, we give up before we find the solution. But together, we can alleviate some suffering. I believe that. So keep asking the questions. Talk to your friends and your neighbors and your relatives about possible solutions. And then let's get to work together to alleviate suffering in this world. In the name of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.